So uh, we're wrapping up this morning the series we've been in for this month called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. And uh, we started this series talking about the idea of shalom, shalom shattered, and shalom regained. That shalom, the way things are supposed to be, the way God created things to be, the way God intends for things to be, where there is universal flourishing, where there is plenty for all, where there is abundance, not scarcity. Uh, ultimately, we define shalom as these loving relationships of union with God, others within ourself, and the rest of God's creation. And so this morning, I wanna explore that idea further, but connect it to this idea of Sabbath. What is Sabbath? have to do with shalom? What does Sabbath have to do with God's justice? What does Sabbath have to do with the way things ought to be? Because uh, Sabbath is something that happened well before the fall. When God created the world, on the seventh day, God rested from all his work of creating. I think so often in our world, we can uh, see work as a drudgery. We can see work as something that just spirals us downward. We can see work as something that just consumes us. Uh, yet work is a good thing that was created from the beginning and that God intends to bring pleasure and delight and shalom. But we're also called to rest from all our work. And so uh, we've been spending a lot of time in the book of Isaiah through the series, and I want to touch on some texts this morning in Isaiah that we haven't looked at yet in this series, and we're going to start in Isaiah 56. And these later chapters in Isaiah are uh, chapters where the nation of Israel is moving from exile in Babylon back to Jerusalem. And a lot of these chapters kind of describe what could Jerusalem be like, what could it looked like to be God's people coming out of exile and creating a new Jerusalem of sorts, coming out of exile to create a community of shalom. What could that look like? And so, actually, I'm going to, let's start with Isaiah 55 and listen to these words of God. God says in Isaiah 55, through the prophet Isaiah, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. So God is inviting his people to this feast, to experience a feast of delight in him and all the many good gifts that God has to offer. How we can so often spend our efforts and spend our funds and, and spend our energy on things that don't bring delight. And God says, everything you need for delight, I have already given you. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you. 
because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. This is uh, the definition of repentance. It's simply to be going one direction and to turn. And, and, and God here in Isaiah 55 is inviting the people to turn. You're going this way, turn back to me and experience the freedom and liberation I have to offer. Why are you spending your money on what does not satisfy? Why are you spending your efforts and your energy on what does not satisfy? Turn to me and I will freely give you everything you need. It says, turn to our God for he will freely pardon. I think so often we, we believe this intellectually, but in terms of actually this sinking deep down in our bones of truly believing that God freely pardons. There's nothing we can do to earn God's favor. There's nothing we can do to earn God's grace. It's already freely available to us. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation, to earn God's favor. We already have it. We simply need to receive it. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. This is simply God's invitation to receive from him water, food, sustenance. Uh, we, we don't grow plants or flowers apart from watering them. And God is saying, you simply cannot grow, you simply cannot be formed in the way of Jesus apart from receiving from the living word. You must be fed, you must be watered by me if you want to experience the life I created you for. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst forth into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. God is simply here is, is talking about shalom, the way things are supposed to be. No more thorns or thistles, just simply delight. Experiencing the delight of God, the delight of others, the delight of God's creation. And then God says in Isaiah 56, maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand, and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps their hands from doing any evil. So in the, 
in the midst of this invitation from God, come, all who are thirsty, come, ha have this wine and this bread that you can't buy. It's already freely available to you. Everything you need, freely available to you. Uh, within this poem, then God starts talking about maintaining justice, righteousness, and then inserts this thing about Sabbath. What is this about Sabbath that's in the midst of this call to maintain justice and righteousness? And then he, he launches into the, this beautiful poem about including everyone in this opportunity. God says in verse 3, Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my, and here it is again, who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, and who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. So first, he's speaking to the Hebrew people about maintaining justice and righteousness and keeping the Sabbath. Then he says, don't let any foreigner think I'll exclude them if they keep the Sabbath. This thing about the Sabbath keeps coming up in the midst of God's radical inclusion, in the midst of, of God's uh, radical invitation to all who are thirsty, in the midst of God's call to justice and righteousness is this invitation to keep the Sabbath. Now, for the Jewish people, this was sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Uh, for many of you, it may look very different. Uh, I don't think there's any hard and fast rule as to what Sabbath looks like, but, but the general idea is that we cease from striving. We cease from life as it is every day, striving, 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 working, working, working. We stop and we reflect and we rest and we experience refreshment in God's presence, in the presence of community, in the presence of God's creation. This, this is God's invitation to rest and reflect. Let's uh, skip forward to Isaiah 58. In Isaiah 58, God's continuing to speak through the prophet Isaiah. And he says, shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife 
and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. So fasting was a regular practice in the Jewish tradition. Uh, many people continue to fast today. Uh, we can look at this idea of fasting simply as a form of worship. So, so God is saying you, you come to your worship and you do your worship in such a way where you're, you're just trying to earn my favor, but it's not done out of the right motives. But look at how you are engaging in worship. You end up quarreling with each other. You end up battling each other. You end up in strife and confusion and, and, and this anger towards one another. And it's simply not the worship I desire. Uh, and you exploit your workers. Now, this is key because the history of the Hebrew people is intimately connected to exploitation. God called this family out, starting with Abraham, then Isaac, and Jacob, and then uh, Jacob's sons sell Joseph, one of Jacob's sons, into slavery. They exploit him. They sell him into slavery in Egypt. And through a series of events, Joseph becomes the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And all the Hebrew people end up moving to Egypt, where they thrive for many years. But then there's this gap in the biblical narrative. We, we don't know what has happened over several centuries. And 400 years later, the story picks back up. And things have significantly changed for the Hebrew people. They are no longer thriving. Instead, they have grown so numerous that the Egyptians have grown fearful of the Hebrew people, and they have enslaved all of them. And so now all the Hebrew people are in slavery, being exploited, being forced to work day in and day out. And we fast forward to the time of Isaiah, and what does God say? Now you're the exploiters. Now you're the ones who are exploiting others. See, God brought his people out of slavery, brought them out of slavery in Egypt, into the land of promise, put them in a position of power to be used for good, to be a light to the nations, to use their power for those on the underside of power. Over and over again, God telling them, remember, remember you were slaves in Egypt. Therefore, care for the foreigner in your midst. Care for the weak. Care for the oppressed. And now, God says, you are exploiting your workers. The Sabbath command is given twice. The Ten Commandments uh, we have twice in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Once in Exodus and once in Deuteronomy. It is, if you read through the Ten Commandments, the, the Sabbath command is the longest command in the Ten Commandments. Because God in both, both times gives an explanation for why to keep the Sabbath. And the reason for keeping the Sabbath is different in Exodus than it is in Deuteronomy. In one telling of the Sabbath command, God tells them, 
keep the Sabbath because in six days God worked and on the seventh God rested. So the first telling of the, of the Sabbath command is to remember creation. Remember God is creator and the creation God has entrusted you with. The other reason for keeping the Sabbath command was also to remember, but it was to remember something different. It was remember you were slaves in Egypt and I brought you out with a mighty hand. And so God is constantly reminding his people of their past so they don't repeat that past. And here they are, now people who were once in slavery, exploiting their own workers. In Egypt, they never rested. They worked seven days a week. And when God brought them out, one of the marks he placed on them was Sabbath. And he said, because your identity is not slave. Your identity is not slave. You are free. So take a day and remember that. You are not a slave to your work. You are not a slave to your vocation. You are not a slave to busyness. You are not a slave to email. You are not a slave to anything. You are a free person. God brought you out. Don't return to slavery. It's, uh, it's one thing for God to free people out of Egypt. It's another thing for God to get the Egypt out of us, isn't it? It does not take long for the Hebrew people to be freed from slavery to start saying what? Life was better in slavery. I wish we could go back to Egypt. It was better there. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. But we believe this lie that it was better. That, that God's way is not the best way for us. And, and so uh, the people of Israel are saying, Sabbath, it, it just feels so restraining. And over and over again, God is saying, it's gift, it's gift, it's gift. There's nothing restraining about it. It's sheer gift. Verse 5, Isaiah 58. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fast I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, literally kin. Don't turn away from your family. What family? The human family. Don't turn away from a fellow human. Uh, what does it look like for us to see every human face we encounter as family, 
as part of the human family, as one created in the image of God, just like we are. Uh, God invites us to loose the bonds of oppression. Um, when we think about slavery today, uh, the UN says there are 27 to 30 million slaves in the world today, forced labor. Uh, both uh, sex trafficking and uh, j just forced labor to make stuff for us. Um, on Fridays is uh, when I usually write my sermon. I study throughout the week and then I go to a library on Fridays and I live in Novato. And of course, the Novato library is closed on Fridays. So uh, I usually end up driving up to Petaluma and I, so I spend the day at the Petaluma library so I don't fight traffic coming south, I head north. And uh, as I'm writing my sermon on Sunday, I, on Friday for today, uh, at one point I'm, I'm looking up stats like uh, number, of, number of slaves in the world today, uh, uh, global poverty stats, uh, all these things that we should be aware of, that we should care about and care deeply about. But so often these things are out there, right? They're, they're out there and we think about them and they're important and we know we should be doing something about it, uh, at very least being aware and, and in, in our choices of the things we buy and, and where do they come from and uh, how were the people treated who made those things. Um, and, and as I'm writing my sermon, uh, a guy who I, I believe is experiencing homelessness, I'm, I'm sitting at a table with four chairs, and he grabs a magazine and he uh, churns a chair at the table I'm at around to face out the window, and he sits down within 10 minutes, he's asleep. Now, I experience this all the time at the library because the employees constantly are waking people up because people are not allowed to sleep in the library. So I'm like, this guy's got it figured out. He turns his chair towards the window so no one can see that he's asleep and he's, he's sound asleep. And I, I have my uh, uh, headphones on and I'm writing. And then uh, another guy who's experiencing homelessness, he comes up and he starts mouthing to me. So I take my headphones off and he's telling me, please make sure you're quiet so my friend can sleep. And it sounds funny, but I, I was like, these guys care about each other. And I, I'm thinking about global poverty and things going on out there. And right at the same table with me is a member of my human family. Uh, who is created in the image of God, just like me, just like you. And so as I talk with this other fellow and assure him, I have my headphones on, I'm not gonna be loud, I'm not gonna wake your friend up, I'm gonna let him sleep. I, his concern comes from knowing the library's policy. And my friend's not supposed to be sleeping, but I know he's tired and I know he needs to sleep. And this is the shelter from the rain that he has for this moment to get some shut-eye. Uh, there was genuine care and concern for them. I wonder what it looks like to not only be aware and concerned deeply 
about issues of global poverty, but the human right face right in front of us. Uh, and to see the image of God in them, just like the image of God is in you and is in me. The if of verses 6 and 7 comes with a then in verse 8. God says, then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the finger pointing and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and you will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Uh, this if-then is not God saying, uh, my, my blessing and, and your delight are only conditioned on you doing these things. Uh, it's easy for us to interpret that, it that way, I think. But God is simply letting us know, this is what I'm like. This is who I am. And if you do things like me, because you're created in my image, it's only going to result in delight. It's only going to result in you finding satisfaction in your life. When you live the way you were intended to live, when you live the way you were created to live, it can only result in delight. That doesn't mean there won't be suffering. That doesn't mean there won't be pain in your life. That doesn't mean there won't be hardship. But there will be this unexplainable joy and delight that we can experience in God when we live into what God is like. God invites us into this way of life that is so different and so beautiful. It's so different than the world we experience around us. And especially in a season where we see political rhetoric that is just so filled with rage and anger at the other side, everything is against. And God invites us into a way of life that is simply giving ourselves away. Not grasping on to our rightness, not grasping on to what is ours, but giving ourselves away. I, I think that the paradox of the gospel is that you save your life by giving it away. Protecting what is ours always isolates, takes the defensive posture, alienates and excludes but opening our grip and living a life of self-giving love and generosity always heals, renews, and restores both the giver and the receiver.
well-being comes only in a community of the human family choosing love, not fear. Um, thinking about this text and living this life that God invites us into, of giving ourselves away, of, of caring for the oppressed and providing for those who are hungry, uh, reminds me of Jesus' words, right? Jesus clearly says, do not worry about what you will eat or what you will wear. Uh, th these basic elements of life that in Isaiah 55, uh, God said, come to me all who are thirsty. There is more than enough. There is more than enough. There's always more than enough. And I think the invitation from God is to simply come and receive from God and then give back out to the world. This is, this is the pattern Jesus taught us to live the life of dying and rising, dying and rising, dying and rising. And we experience this life breath from the Spirit of God who fills us up with love and joy and peace and kindness, and we get to go back out and give out love and joy and peace and kindness. And yet it's so difficult to be filled up with those things and give ourselves back to the world if we don't rest in God. And this is exactly what the text comes back to. Verse 13, the end of chapter 58. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride and triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Why is Sabbath so important to God? I think it's because God has set up the world with a certain rhythm. And when we experience the rhythm of work and rest, when we enter that rest that God invites us into, we are filled back up with everything he invites us to go back out into the world to give away. And then return to that place of rest to be filled back up and give it back away. Uh, Walter Brueggemann talks about the Sabbath a lot, and uh, he says this about the Sabbath. Sabbath is the alternative to a restless, aggressive, unbridled acquisitiveness that exploits others for self-gain. Sabbath is a cessation of feverish anxiety and control. Because if we're really honest, we, we want control, don't we? We want to be in control. Sabbath reminds us we were never in control to begin with. Sabbath reminds us we're, we're simply not in control. We rest in the arms of a loving creator and redeemer God. Uh, as I was thinking about it, I, I wrote these words about Sabbath. Sabbath restores us in the way of Jesus and invites us to rest in him. Sabbath invites us to wake up to the reality that the world does not depend on me and my efforts. Sabbath invites us to be kind to ourselves, others, 
and the planet. Sabbath invites us to be compassionate to ourselves, others, and the planet. Sabbath trains us to love. In other words, Sabbath invites us into shalom. When we enter into Sabbath rest, we experience the shalom of God. I don't know what Sabbath looks like for you. I don't think there's a particular way to do it other than to just try it and experience it and ask God, how are you inviting me into Sabbath? Uh, Perhaps for you, uh, you need just some time in solitude, even though Sabbath in Jewish tradition is always experienced in community. Uh, but perhaps you need some solitude time. Perhaps you, you need to just experience family life together and, and explore with your family what does it look like to take a day of Sabbath, to cease striving. And, and the, the, the list never ends, okay? You're never going to check everything off the list before Sabbath. So you have to somehow set the list aside and enter into the invitation that God offers to rest. Um, Last week, me and my family got away for three nights to Mount Hermon. I had never been up there before uh, in the mountains of Santa Cruz. So we spent three nights there. Uh, For some reason, this was the, the first time Uh, our family got together uh, away as a family in two and a half years. And since we got back, I've been asking myself, why two and a half years? Why so long? Uh, And the great thing about Mount Hermon, there's a lot of great things, I think, but the great thing for me, no internet access. My phone didn't work there. I drove into Santa Cruz one day to get some food, and I checked my email. And I kind of wish I hadn't. (laughs) But for the rest of the time, for those three days, I couldn't check my email. I couldn't receive texts. I couldn't receive phone calls. There was no TV. There was a fireplace. And there was a creek down the hill that we took our kids to. Uh, Two days in a row, down to the creek. That first day, down to the creek, playing at the creek, just, and it just felt like my head was emerging from a cloud. It just felt like my soul was being renewed. And and then the second day, so we brought these boogie boards because we thought we might go into Santa Cruz, the ocean, but we didn't. It was kind of cold and rainy a couple of days, so we just stayed at Mount Hermon the whole time. And so the second day, kids are like, let's take the boogie boards down to the creek. And so, <laughs> and my son, who has been saying, uh, can, I, can I go surfing someday? He's standing on this boogie board in this creek and he's saying, Daddy, look, I'm surfing, I'm surfing. And just experiencing Sabbath and shalom. Uh, When we talk about bringing the world to rights, when we talk about seeing Sabbath regained, uh, shalom restored, when we talk about God's justice and righteousness in the world being as it ought to be, Sabbath helps us be that kind of person. Sabbath helps us 
live into the person God invites us to be the other six days of the week. Because we are human beings, not human doings. We are people who are invited to rest and be present to God as God is present to us so that we can then be present to the world. Uh, I know for Jenna and I, Sabbath looks a whole lot different now than it did before we had kids. It, and so you just got to figure it out. You got to figure it out for your family and for yourself. What does Sabbath look like for me to cease, cease striving, to, to, to cease the constant checklist? To, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. There, there will never be enough time for Sabbath. There won't. So you just have to choose to do it. Because there, there's always too much to do. Uh, this morning, as we come and, and take this bread and dip it in this cup, we remember Jesus who invites us into Sabbath rest. Uh, we remember Jesus, the creator and redeemer of the universe, the one who died on the cross with his arms open wide, inviting us into a way of life that is filled with joy and Sabbath delight. Uh, my prayer for you this morning as you come and take this bread and dip it in the cup is that it, you will experience some of that Sabbath delight this morning, that you'll experience some of that shalom that we were created and intended for. God, thank you that you are a God who invites us into this rhythm of rest. God, help us to, to somehow set the list aside and to rest in you, to, to set the phone aside, to set our agenda aside. and allow you to renew us and restore us so that we can truly be a people who bring your justice and righteousness, your shalom, your healing, your delight into this world. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.